Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing all right. We have we have no guest today, but we do hope to have a special edition of the podcast coming out some point in the next week or so um, with one of our uh, constitutional officer candidates on the Democratic side. Keep your eyes peeled on the thread on the... Wait, what do you call it? The feed. Yeah, keep your eyes on the feed to see who it is. Uh, and, and, you know, you you probably have a good chance if you want to guess. Um, but yes, that today we are going to be talking about other stuff. Um, the big news from this week was a pretty substantial crime bill that was announced by the Republican caucus, some Louisville Republicans that are pushing a very substantial tough on crime bill that will likely see a lot of time in the legislature this year. So that's Jasmine's going to go over all of the all of the things that we know about it so far, kind of what it means. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll chop it up a lot on this bill. Uh, and then I have a lot of quick hits that we want to get to. A lot of stuff following up on things we talked about in the past, um, and, and also just some some other developments and, and things that we want to talk about for sure. Um, so yeah, before we get to all of that though, Jasmine, uh, yeah, t- tell tell the people what they got to know. But besides that. Um, I'm going to be taking a little My Old Kentucky podcast hiatus um, because I'm doing some local community theater and have a really busy rehearsal schedule coming up. And so I'm going to take a little break until about Christmas time. Yeah, so we will definitely be missing Jasmine uh, during that period of time. So we will have some guests coming in. We got people lined up for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll have a couple of folks in for the week after that. Um, you know, Jasmine may drop in from time to time. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But you know, if not, uh, and, and if you're in Louisville or if you're traveling to Louisville, you should go check out the uh, uh, the uh, Christmas Carol production at the um, Highview Theater. What's the name of the place? Highview Art Center. Highview Art Center. So I'll be there. Uh, you guys should come too if you're in Louisville. See Jasmine, um, but yeah, so so we will miss Jasmine, but you know we we will we will ha- we will keep you know pumping out the content for you. It's election time, you know, so we will be having plenty of election related stuff coming on, and then also you know we'll be doing filing stuff up until then, and, and we will have plenty to talk about with other folks besides Jasmine. So, all that being said, Jasmine, tell everybody what they need to know about this big crime bill. All right, well, one last show of me talking about. <laughs> criminal criminal law, stuff. I guess, yeah. before before I go. So last week, seven GOP legislators from Louisville unveiled a new crime prevention plan that they are calling the Safer Kentucky Act. And it's an 18-part proposal, so it's going to be like a big omnibus bill. And the sponsor of the legislation... Um, is Representative Jared Bauman, who represents District 28, and that's in Southwest Louisville. And he's in his first term after um, defeating a longtime Democrat incumbent, Charlie Miller. Mm -hmm. And Bauman said, my constituents are fed up. They don't feel safe in their own homes and neighborhoods. If we do not do something now, things will only get worse. Um, A copy of the bill hasn't been seen yet, They said it will be unveiled at a December interim committee, um, which is just shortly before the legislative session begins. Um, So we know generally what the 18 proposals are, but we don't know what they're going to look like or how to necessarily like prepare. Yeah. Um, And and they have talked as though it's going to be one big bill. 
I would honestly be kind of surprised. I would expect it to be split up over a couple of different bills. Um, and I think it will probably get a bunch of different hearings. And, and because I mean, you're going to get into the, the proposal here shortly, but not everything's like all of that related. But there are kind of like yeah. themes that go through a bunch of these kinds of things. I don't know. Um, I think it is a salient point to say, you know, Jerry Bauman is in his first term. This is not he, legislating is not something he's done before. Um, so we'll see if he gets guidance from from leadership um, on on how to kind of structure this. But but yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see just kind of what what form it all takes. Yeah, I guess I don't I don't know that it would be one bill. Um, they have but, kind of talked about it as like, yeah, the act, the safer Kentucky. Act. Right. That's, yeah. that's why I thought that. Um, but but yeah, you're right. Some of these things. um are you know very connected and some of them like aren't quite as connected so yeah i'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like um and 18 items is a lot um so we're not going to talk about every single one but i do have a lot of them listed um to talk about and and i probably won't spend a lot of time on them today because we don't have a bill it's really hard to know what some of these things are going to look like they they're all like a little bit vague right now. Um, so the first one is some kind of three strikes law um, that would re- for for violent offenders, it would require a life sentence without probation or parole. Um, and three strikes laws have been about half the state's just a little over half the states have them and they all kind of take different forms. And so um, in some states, like after the third strike, it has to be another violent offense um, for the life sentence. In some states it's a life sentence, but there's still the possibility of probation or parole. Some states only have two strikes. Um, Some states it's, it's any felony after the third strike is a life sentence. So this could take a lot of different forms. Um, there, there's not a lot of support that they actually like reduce crime, um, though. So yeah, my the thing that I know about three strikes laws is that they are generally ineffective and yet also generally very popular um, among, uh, especially among Republican voters and uh, among like you know. Uh, people who vote for conservative like conservatives really like three strikes laws but there isn't really any evidence i don't think that they they reduce reduce crime so you know um it's a it's a really tough tough thing to look to to stare down because it is like yeah it's it's being tough it is the it has the the you know kind of the veneer of of trying to approach the crime issue but it isn't really taking any sort of like deep analysis to what we need to do to stop you know criminal activity and mm-hmm. really just like here's something that we think should work even though it's never really worked anywhere else life without probation or parole for an offender who doesn't necessarily like hurt someone there's violent offenses where you know no one gets hurt um that that's a lot of money to spend to incarcerate someone from mm-hmm. for the rest of their life without probation or parole. Um, so and not just, you're just paying su- for their like medical care, yeah, for their whole life. Um, even though you know studies show that people age out of criminal activity at some point. Yeah, and and not just not just the the their care and you know livelihood, but just also the fact that you know you have to then support 
their appeals um you know that's they have they have those rights and, and you know that's a lot of court costs that you have to incur as well so you know there's a lot of stuff that goes into that yeah and i i think like even though three strikes laws are popular like amongst republicans for criminal justice advocates that are interested in like reforming the system like three strikes and persistent felony laws like those are like high on the list of things that um, we're trying to like move things in the other direction and um, you know when there's been a lot of advocacy against three strikes laws Kentucky's like yeah we're we're gonna get one of those um, so that's that's the first one that I wanted to mention the next is the use of wiretapping and there wasn't like with all of these, there, there's not a lot of discussion yet about like what these are going to look like in the bill. Um, and then Jason Nemus tweeted that it would only be used for gang activity and organized violence. And I, I replied and asked him because we, we brought into our definition of gang activity a few years ago. Um, and so I think that that definition of gang activity could be used to wiretap nearly anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so like there, there's so much with, with strict policies on crime and also with these um, like interfering with Liberty proposals, like wiretapping. I mean, there, there's just so much room for abuse and um Yeah. I, I think that they're not just Democrats agree with that. And, and we'll talk about that a bit at the end here um, as we go after we go through some of these other proposals. So the next one is restricting bail organizations. Um, Republicans had a bill a few years ago to do this and it, it didn't make it through. Um, but what I'll say about this is that the bail project no longer post bail in Kentucky. Um, and, and I'm not sure how often the Louisville Community Bail Fund posts either. I mean, they had a, a big influx of cash um, whenever, after Breonna Taylor was killed. Um, but since then, I don't know how often, like, bails are being posted by any bail organization. Um, so there's that. Um, next, creating a Kentucky State Police outpost in Louisville. That's something that Daniel Cameron has also talked about as part of his um, gubernatorial platform. This next one, I have like extremely <laughs> deep concerns about. Um, it's allowing business owners to use reasonable force to detain shoplifters. Um, I think that a provision like this could only increase violence and lead to like people getting killed. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the same way I feel about like police chases. Oftentimes, like if, if the person who's fled isn't accused of a very serious crime, um, it often just creates a danger for everyone around. And, and that's what allowing business owners to use force to detain shoplifters. Like, you don't know if they're armed. I, I mean, that's just, like, terrifying. Well, you also, you know, 
Uh, who, you're, you're, you're deputizing people who own businesses who are not trained in any form or fashion to like yeah. identify, oh, I thought this person was a shoplifter, so I shot them dead. Right. Uh, you know, and, and what does that mean? And, and you know, uh, that's, we don't know if that's going to be what reasonable force is in the bill or whatever, but like, yeah, it's just like, it's like we are all, we, we are increasing our tolerance for violence around this, uh, which is not the direction that we can go in. There's the ways that we can work towards, you know, making, you know, you know, making business owners whole if they experience a, a high influx of shoplifting, or there's like other things that we can do besides like deputizing them to use violence on behalf of the state, which is not not what we should be doing. It's very very scary. Yeah, out there. It, it's very scary. Yeah. Very reminiscent of like a, the stand your ground rules that led to like mm-hmm. the Trayvon Martin killing, you know, a decade or so ago. Yeah, I you know I think this. This is even worse, though, because it's happening in a public place where it's not just like your own home. It's a place where other people are as well. And so I think that's dangerous. Um, They're also proposing a ban on street camping, which um, to me, like that makes the jail just a revolving door for homeless people. And it, it keeps them from being able to access resources because they're just building a criminal record um yeah yeah and and because of that i mean with all with all of the the street clearing type situations they the question that just doesn't have a good answer is like well what do you want these people to do yeah like where where do you want them to go to be yeah um and i think there there's also discussion of a provision about reasonable force here like if you if you ask someone who's like loitering or camped out or something to leave and they don't, you can use reasonable force. And so, um, you know, that's, that's another thing that I think is dangerous as well. Um, and then we have some expansion of harsher sentences and things like that, like increasing minimum sentences for people convicted of attempted murder making carjacking its own class C felony and requiring mandatory completion of the sentence um, for those who commit an offense with an illegal firearm. Carjacking is already a class B felony. That's a robbery in the first degree. And so I'm not sure what making its own class C felony um, is there, (laughs) but it, it, it's yeah, a class B I, felony already. So I don't. It's yeah, a more serious. I don't. Felony. I don't understand that either. I didn't. I. I figured it was. I guess they're just creating a new crime just so that you can charge someone with carjacking instead of calling it armed robbery or something like that. Or I. I don't really know. Maybe carjackings that are unarmed or something. Like I don't. I don't know. There's a couple of different ways I can interpret this, but we don't really know what yeah, they mean. I mean, those those are still felonies as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Absolutely. So we already we already have like several statutes that would address any any type of carjacking. Um, next would be expanding the death penalty to people convicted of selling fentanyl to a person who fatally overdoses, um, and requires prosecutors to seek the death penalty. If there's evidence of that, a law enforcement officer is intentionally killed while performing their official duties. Um, I mean, so here, this is kind of like with the street, three strikes laws like there's been such a huge movement to like end the death penalty um not not these and, people and, <laughs> right and, and now we're just expanding it to people who yeah um you know are are engaged in something that is harmful but 
are not the person like doing an intentional act to cause someone's death. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, the the death penalty, in my opinion, is never appropriate. But you know, I don't know if we should expand it also to police officers who kill civilians. You know, right? <laughs> and and my second point was like, I mean, so much for for all lives matter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, clear, clearly absolutely. this is valuing um, so, someone's life more than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's the the death penalty expansion that is being talked about. Uh, they also want to increase the felony class for providing contraband like fentanyl within a detention center, requiring parents to attend juvenile court hearings with possible $500 fines and 40 hours of community service for violations. I don't... I do wish um, there were parents or guardians like attending juvenile court hearings sometimes, but but the rights, the constitutional rights belong to the child, not the parent. And right. so while I do wish they were there, um, in most cases, it, you know, it doesn't, he, I don't, requiring it is a lot and $500 fines and 40 hours of community service. I mean, those things could, that time and money could be used for getting services for the child and like taking them to counseling and things like that instead of doing community service it's it's already so hard for them to get there and take off work and and, and things like that i think this just like makes things difficult for um, people who don't have a lot of resources. There's a lot of stuff here that I think is really important. Your points are are, are very important. Um, I, there, there's a carrot and a stick approach, and this is only stick, right? This is only you get a fine or community service if you don't come to your kids court hearing like you know and that if you are in violation of that like you you the the goal of this is to get parents more involved in kids lives Uh, you know if they're found guilty of this they're away from their kids more they have to spend time doing community service they have to work more to to pay for this fine or whatever you know why why don't you you know that i do think I think you agree. Like the the goal here is noble, getting parents more involved in their kids, especially if they're having trouble. But like, hey, why don't we say like we will give you five hundred dollars if you come to your kid's court hearing? How about that? That might like entice more parents to be involved in their kids' lives. There's like there's there and maybe maybe money isn't like you you feel bad about that or feel like it's dirty or whatever. Like there's a lot of ways you can you can entice parents to be more involved in their kids' lives instead of punishing them for not because of whatever exists out there. Like there's there's ways to approach this that are different that are probably more effective that won't criminalize parents uh, and, and and exacerbate a problem that you're already pointing out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then just a couple more here. So requiring the transportation cabinet to provide ID cards to those released from county and regional jails. I think that's a good thing. Um, and then allowing involuntary confinement for the mentally ill. Oof. Um, and this was dealt with in a bill in 2021. Um, and, and it has to do with like what, what do what happens to people who are charged with a crime um, but they're found incompetent to stand trial and so they go to the hospital but then a doctor releases them at some point and so they pass this bill to be able to hold them um, yeah it was Julie Rocky Adams and Morgan McGarvey that worked really hard to get this through yeah and that so 
I don't know like what this new bill would be because we we passed a bill yeah <laughs> in 2021 I, about and, this so i am interested to see like what further commit involuntary commitment they'll be addressing here. There, there's all kinds of questions here like what does this look like are you just going to be like increasing penalties making it more punitive which is what i would interpret but like right. how much more punitive do you want to make it like what did this restricting bail organization situation look like like you already mentioned there aren't that many bails being posted anymore and and you know the little uh, the, the bail project which was doing you know a big chunk of this work isn't even doing it at all anymore so like what does it look like when there's not a lot of organizations even doing this um, you know, do you like how how do you identify what organization is like? Can churches not post bail at this point? Can like community organizations not post bail? Can like aunts and uncles? Not? I mean, what does it look like? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what does it mean to like? What does reasonable force mean in all of these forms and uh, like the, the the times that it's used through here? It, there, there's so many open questions because we don't we don't have a bill, um, and, and and you know you don't need to have a bill. You're several months away from this, but they are like out here promoting it. They're out here talking about it. They're out here like trying to gin up support for this thing mm-hmm. that doesn't have any definitions. And it's I mean this is really bad stuff. This also is like probably the first big swing in the other direction after we had like a lot of discussion about criminal justice reform and and, and some positive things that we seemed like we had some republican buy-in on for like really the past like six seven years um where you know there were some republicans that seemed like they were interested in doing some of this work and this is probably the first really big swing in the other direction and and i'm afraid that it's only going to increase um because of of you know the the situation that we're seeing in a lot of the cities that we're in where we are seeing an increase in in some some levels of street crime where we are at least we're seeing a lot more news coverage of that sort of stuff and and in the cycle of these sorts of things it seems like it's going to get worse here in the future and that's it's really unfortunate but you know you just gotta i guess kind of gotta get ready to to fight a bunch of these battles because this seems like Mm -hmm. just the first opening salvo and something that we're going to see a lot more of in the years to come yeah anyone who's organizing against these policies let me know (laughs) just let me know what i can do let me know what research i can provide you like what are we doing um, to to defend some of this stuff coming up? Because, I mean, the session will be here before we know it. But the last thing I wanted to mention that I, you know, you and I are criticizing this proposal and we're Democrats, um, but some Republicans aren't happy with it either and have expressed concerns, particularly um, Republicans from the like Liberty wing of the party and they've expressed concerns, particularly about the wiretapping policy. Um, Savannah Maddox tweeted, as government surveillance has grown increasingly invasive over the years, my concerns have grown alongside it. Wiretapping is not the answer. And then in another tweet, she noted the risk of abuse and the potential for violating your right to privacy and constitutional protections against unlawful search and seizure are too great no matter how narrowly tailored. Um, and that's kind of what I was talking about mm-hmm. other earlier. Like when you say, we're only going to do this for gang activity. I mean, the potential for abuse there and how that's defined so broadly 
it's huge. And, and, um, and I mean, it's a discussion we've been having in town for a long time, the relationship between some of the judges in town and the police department, where they basically can get away with whatever they want to. It's gang activity. They just sign the they sign the, uh, you know, the, the warrant and keep moving forward as, as long as you just kind of say it is because this isn't this doesn't have any due process. Wiretapping by its very nature doesn't really have much due process attached to it. You know, you can't let somebody know you're <laughs> right. doing wiretapping. So it's it, you know, it is kind of like up to up to the legal profession, up to the judges that we mm-hmm. elect to, to to to, you know, handle that. And, you know, there we I don't really trust a good number of the judges that we have to exercise good judgment on this because they haven't in the past. So, you know, we have elected some good ones. You know, I think our, our bench is getting better, but, uh, you know, it is, there are still some folks out there that I think would just do whatever the police department asked of them. So that is the situation we find ourselves in. And, you know, Savannah Maddox, she, she's not always wrong. You know, she's, <laughs> she's, she's, she, she's right on some issues. Yeah. She's very yeah. deeply wrong on most things, but she is right on this. Um, and, and, but I do, this is kind of also why I feel like this bill is, is destined to be split into several pieces, because I do think she's going to support things like the, the reasonable force provisions and protecting private property. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, she's probably all for that, you know, I, I, and I expect that there is a pretty su- substantial Republican majority for a big chunk of, of the, of this, of this plan. So how it gets legislated in, in the way that the the Republican legislators kind of work through a, a lot of their their you know discontent or work through some of their you know disagreements on parts of this bill is something that we will have to watch really closely and and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking more about it when we have actual drafts of legislation to look at. But yeah, that that's where we are right now. Yep. All right. Well, that was kind of the main thing we wanted to talk about today, but we do have some several quick hits that we just kind of want to talk about. So, so first and foremost, I, I think that the thing this is this is pretty big news. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the United States court, it's a federal court, declined to stop a stay on a lower court decision to block SB 150, which is the Kentucky law which bans gender affirming care for trans kids. So it is kind of confusing. He they decided not to stop a stay. Um, the U.S. District Judge D- David Hale issued a ruling blocking the injunction in June, but then stayed his own ruling. Which you know, I, there's things that happen in the courts where I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. So you like ruled one way and then was like, but we're not going to put this in place until it goes through the court system. Um, and, and so the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which which you know, which did see an appeal to this specific case in Kentucky, then I think I used the word enjoined, and I don't know if that's exactly correct, but there's a similar case in Tennessee, and now one court case is that what enjoining means jasmine i think it would probably be just join ah, not enjoined. To, to, yeah enjoin is like to make to instruct someone to do something so okay so they joined they just joined they put those two yeah. cases together uh and and it, this rule this case in tennessee and this case in kentucky are now one case um and and the sixth circuit then said they would not remove the stay that means that there's still a ruling on the merits that's forthcoming. So they will, you know, have the normal arguments and everything about this issue, and they will issue a ruling. But it's not it's not great for, for the trans youth out there who are trying to access treatment, um, especially the ones that don't have the ability to leave the state um, to, to a safer place to access that kind of treatment. It, it is it is very bad uh, for, for those kids now. 
Um, so the you know there's still more to be seen. The the courts have to rule, and, and you know like like a lot of times the writing on this is very circumspect and kind of says well they're just you know they're asking for an extension of their constitutional rights. There isn't really precedent for this, so you know we don't want to jump all the way to to staying this ruling because they have a pretty significant ways to go to convince us. But the fact that they didn't stay it is is not good news, even though the the game is not over. The court case is not over for for this one yet so the the aclu is the group fighting sb 150 in court so Corey shapiro the legal director of the aclu in kentucky said while it is disheartening that the panel believes it is constitutional for the government to prohibit the transgender youth from accessing such necessary health care this is only a temporary setback so that's a that's a quote from Corey shapiro who's a cool guy um and that's you know hopefully that 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 is what we were trying to express there hopefully you got that Okay, that's all for that bad piece of news. The next thing is that the JCPS chief, chief operating officer, Chris Perkins, has been reassigned in the wake of the transportation disaster that started this school year. So Perkins had been the COO since May 2020. He came up through Iroquois High School. He's been working in the system for a long time. He's been working at JCPS since 1999. He wasn't fired. He was just reassigned to a lower role. I think he was like kind of demoted. Um, he was a leader overseeing the transportation changes it seemed like uh it, you know fall guy seems like maybe too strong of a word but you know there there no somebody somebody got in trouble over this which seemed like it was <laughs> inevitable um that's the that's his that's the person and then that's pretty high pretty pretty high person the chief operating officer that's a pretty high up person to get in trouble about something like this so that's that's what's going on uh for that so there was there was a, a, at least some accountability that was had in in the transportation disaster that started the year all right. On September 27th, Brooks Hawk was arrested in the Crystal Rogers case down there in Bardstown. Mr. Hawk has been often touted as the prime suspect in the killing of Crystal Rogers, uh, but had never been arrested. The federal government took over this case several years ago. You know, we've been talking about this for a very long time. Uh, the federal government is expected to charge him with murder and evidence tampering. Um, so this is, you know, we talked about this briefly in the past, but it's been covered by just about, there's, there was a podcast by a local reporter about this that was, you know, six or seven uh, episodes just about this case that spans, I think, you know, a, two disappearances and definitely a murder uh, and likely up to three murders i think uh including a police officer uh, you know crystal rogers stepfather is that right um or dad I, somebody her, her dad her dad her actual father um there, there's a lot there's a, a lot that's been going on down there it's been going on for a long time pick your favorite true crime show podcast or whatever they probably have a crystal rogers episode or series of episodes to learn more about brooks hawk but he has been arrested by the fbi so while the fbi has been involved in this case i'm pretty sure his charges are state court charges oh okay okay in nelson circuit court all right so they were federal charges or federal they're not federal charges the federal law enforcement apparatus was involved in the case but mm -hmm. the, the court where he's actually facing charges is state court okay yes good to know anything else you have to say about jasmine i know we've been talking about this for a, a quite quite a long time and you've been covering talking about this on the show for quite a long time anything to say about brooks hawk being arrested i guess just that i am not surprised um after they arrested someone for conspiracy yeah i thought that that meant that things 
we're about to get moving. Yeah, and, and, and it seems like they're moving. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with a guy that got arrested for conspiracy. He's probably going to end up not facing much uh, if Brooks Hawk does, you know, get convicted. So we'll I see. wouldn't say much, but um, probably some kind of deal, maybe. Yeah, that seems like where it's headed. All right, the next thing and the last thing I had to talk about, which may or may not be relevant moving forward, the District 1 U.S. Congressman James Comer has been key to Republicans' push for an impeachment inquiry. Um, He's the chair of the House Oversight Committee, and as such, he is the person leading the inquiry and has been really laser-focused on impeaching Joe Biden since, you know, before this term started. You know, uh, that seems to be the direction that a lot of Republicans wanted to head in you know, for whatever reason they, they wanted to. Um, according to an article uh, in MSNBC, their, their website this week, uh, here's a quote. Um, One belief that generated bipartisan consensus is that the GOP's first impeachment inquiry was an embarrassing fiasco, unquote. So the Republicans were not impressed by James Comer's work uh, on the impeachment inquiry. And according to that same MSNBC article, Republican leadership is thinking about replacing Comer as the head of the inquiry with Jim Jordan. Um, He's a a congressman from Ohio. Uh, Anytime I mention Jim Jordan, I like to mention that he is alleged to have ignored six high school wrestlers who told him that they had experienced sexual abuse at the hands of a team doctor. Um, I think that it's unbelievable to me that Jim Jordan is as prominent as he is when so many people don't know about that, despite it being public record. Um, Anyways, the entire impeachment situation is a big mess, and it's not the only big mess going on there in the United States House of Representatives right now. Right before we sat down to record, um, the Speaker of the House, the Speakership was vacated. So who knows what's going to happen with the impeachment inquiry or any number of other things that is going on in the federal government. What a big fat mess. Um, And James Comer sitting there in the middle of it all. So... Um, there's your dose of uh, federal uh, national politics for the day. All right. Well, that's all we had to talk about this week. Jasmine, we're going to miss you moving forward. Uh, you know, I'll still be talking to you, but everybody that's listening is going to miss you a lot. Uh, so before you go, tell us how can people find us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter you can subscribe to at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.